How are the Lions doing after two games of the tour? How do they go about beating the Crusaders? A Kiwi journalist tells us what the media there really thinks of Warren Gatland, and Fez talks to us about a stag weekend in Newcastle. It's all coming up on The Hard Yards. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes. Passionate about sport. Two and Ring Rose comes through. Oh. That is brilliant from Ring Rose. Ring Rose is going here. What a score. I know what website you use most often, but it's a sister of uh, YouTube. <laughs> Hi, Rob. Zeeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next year. He's calling. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. I say YouTube is probably YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Hard Yards Rugby Podcast on Sports Joe. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We have a lot to talk about in terms of Lions. They've named their team for this weekend's game with Crusaders, while New Zealand have named their squad for the three tests. So there's plenty to discuss. I'm joined by Kevin McLaughlin and Stephen Ferris in studio, and we'll have Hamish Bidwell from stuff.co.nz later on to chat about all of that. We'll also have Ladbrook's head of rugby trading, Andy Wildig, to give us an insight into just how betting works. Now, Fez, how are you? Not too bad, Andy. You're sending a, a little horse. I'm a little horse indeed, yeah. It was a big weekend over in Newcastle upon Tyne for uh, my stag too, so um, yeah, I can't go into too many details or tell you too many stories, Andy. That's that's a really crushing start for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now, what he's saying right, is that do, we, do you want me to talk about the big fat strippers that we've yeah. seen? Or what he's saying <laughs> is he needs to dedicate a full podcast to the stack. That's yeah, right. There's that's, no point in starting going into the stories now. That's exactly yeah. what I'm hearing. Yeah, we need to lead, lead into this properly. Um, Kev, what did you do for yours out of interest? I went down to uh, the west of Ireland to Galway for one night and one night only. Um, sorry, didn't go to Galway. I went to Kilkenny for one night and... Uh, I just felt like one night was safe. Fez had two nights, and I think he's still feeling the aftershocks of the event. So, uh, one night in and out, everyone can doesn't have to face each other the second day and look each other in the eye and, <laughs> and square off again. Everyone just dies for their cars and gets the hell out of there. I think after one night, so that's the way I went. The two the two night stag has become a very like fashionable thing to do, isn't it? Like, it's a three night stags as well. I was in Bratislava there not so long ago, and we left on the Thursday, home on the Sunday. Mine was three nights as well, more or less, because as soon as we got home, we went back on it again. So, um, yeah, I felt the pain come Monday morning, but it's all worth it. You only do it once in your life, eh? And when you got home, what what were you talking about from the weekend? Um, we weren't talking about anything from the weekend. We were just looking forward to having another couple of drinks. We went down to my mate's house, and he has a whiskey bar at his house. So we got down and started drinking uh, Famous Grice and having a bit of crack and getting the guitar out, singing a few songs, and uh, yeah. yeah, just rounding off a really, really good weekend. So who was on it? Was this like old friends, or was it uh, some yeah, of the rugby crew? Yeah, there was 26 of my local friends there, and then there was a couple of rugby lads. Uh, Paddy Wallace and Chris Henry went over mm. they come over Saturday morning they've got a bit like you Kev they've got their head screwed on just come over for the one night um, Stephen Watson who you know works up in uh, BBC Northern Ireland so yeah a couple other guys so I think there was 31 of us in total um, yeah it was good crack but you know Newcastle is just full of hen parties stag parties and uh, cheap alcohol so uh, yeah it's good crack <laughs> yeah it's actually somewhere I've never been it has a very good reputation it sounds like you upheld that reputation nicely yeah but you go in a stag do and there's <coughs> this is my throat is still going you go in a stag do and you 
stay in the same bars for like two days you know Newcastle's a big place there's loads and loads of bars there's good places to go and you end up staying in two or three places that are pretty good but we watched the Champions League final mm. in uh, Shears Sports Bar which is um, right at Newcastle United's football ground there um, right underneath so it was a brilliant atmosphere it was absolutely packed out everybody was up and of course we were all up singing songs and everything else so um, good memories from that day for sure Out of interest like you've got 31 lads on tour is that kind of hard to get in places or do you have stuff arranged already? No we had a few things arranged um, we were able to get into a place called Tiger Tiger which my brother got sorted out um, went there for a few jars and danced the night away but yeah you know what it's like in Stags you know there's one of the fellas a guy called Paul who more or less got off the flight on Friday and like he, we caught up with each other in the taxi bus on the way home on the Sunday and he's like alright Stevie yeah here, thanks very much for the Stag yeah it was good to see you and I'm like yeah I haven't seen you in two days mate. Well, <laughs> where have you been <laughs> it's like you must be out of pocket and just going to those strip clubs all the time and he's like oh no no so like there was two or three of the lads that kind of just went and done their own thing but you kind of leave one bar and you go kind of go right I'm fed up and then there might be four or five guys outside or having a cigarette or something yeah. and then you might go somewhere else and they're doing something else and that's why you so brought you a full up. squad though full squad in case you, like, in case you yeah. get a few injuries along yeah. the way <laughs> there's, there's midweek bars along the way on the weekend you know uh Okay, so this leads us on to, um, since we spoke last, um, the Lions have had a couple of outings. The New Zealand Provincial Barbarians it was an interesting start. Um, maybe we'll, we'll say it was jet lag, bit of a false start. Um, but then the Blues happened this week and that didn't seem like jet lag. That seemed like just the Blues were a better side. Um, Kev, that was, it's not been the greatest start to a tour. <clears throat> the Blues were good uh, and the Lions were better than they were against the Barbarians which was encouraging um, and I think they had like plenty of opportunities to win the game and a couple of silly mistakes and that try in the kind of 44th minute of the first half absolutely killed them I think that was a massive turning point but just some basic errors that never happened to a team that's well gelled and used to playing together like that line out at the end for instance like a, a, a second row and a hooker that are used to playing together that just never ever happens uh, like that's the Dev walking into the line out and he jumps and he catches that ball no problem and you know the line out more was going really well so I think they probably score off that and it's a different game so I think there's a lot of those betting in problems but that's always the case with Lions teams like you've got a very short amount of time to gel and you need a little bit of luck and you need a couple of things to go your way and that hasn't been the case so far but was a bit concerning is I thought just some of the Lions players were made look average by these Blues guys and these are the you know, technically the worst of the five franchises. Um, like, when I saw uh, Noel chasing Ione for that first try, I was like, Noel looks like an absolute slug here. And he's very fast. He's one of the fastest players in international rugby in, in Europe. And he didn't even get close. He had the angle on Ione and he just absolutely skinned him. Um, then I also think that, like, a lot of these Lions guys are used to defending uh, in the Pro 12, the Premiership, those kind of leagues, where there's very little offloading. And when you're defending the offload, it's a different type of defence. You need to be able to, So you've got, obviously, the guy who's making the tackle, but then the two guys either side of them need to be ready to step in and make the hit. Mm. And it just seemed like we're really, really slow to react to things like that. And there were two or three times where an offload late led to a break, which led to a try. Um, and I think if the, the Lions had been a bit more reactive and actually stepped in and made those hits on the guys that got offloaded too there wouldn't have been a problem particularly the last try there like it was it was good play but a team that's used to defending the offload doesn't get caught out there 
Um, Let's go back to, to one person you mentioned there. So Rory Best. I mean, there's a few, a good few Irish players um, have been involved in these games so far. But um, Fez, Bestie, that situation against a crunch line at the end, the line out isn't down to a thrower. But he'll be copping a lot of pressure for that the line at unit malfunctioning at that critical moment. Yeah, he has been copping a lot of flack, especially in social media. And I suppose there was pretty tight calls when it came to who was getting selected for hooker and <coughs> Dylan Hartley missed out. So of course, you now you've got all the English on the the bandwagon of Rory Best isn't good enough, and you know he's he's uh, shouldn't be a Test player for the Lions and blah blah blah. But like, it's not all down to just Rory Best there. You know, Mario Toji came into the line. I think the plan was just to take a quick tempo ball on him. The guy, the Auckland Blues guys were just going to stay down and try and defend for their lives to try and get a win. So, you know, they could have put Mario Toji up for two or three seconds and then threw the ball in if they had wanted. It was just total miscommunication between hooker, between jumper, between lifters because the back lifter was too far away. He was at least a yard away. Sinclair, who was coming on and high-fiving and Hugh and everybody when he came onto the pitch was a wee bit sluggish getting onto the front lift as well. So, um... You know, I think everybody will be taking the responsibility for, for what happened. But at the end of the day, that five metre line out didn't cost the, the Lions the game. It was, you know, the previous 80 or 78 minutes or 79 minutes that cost them the game. I actually thought they were the better team and played more of the rugby, certainly in the first half. And in the second half, they defended bravely. And the Blues had a lot more possession. But when you're tackling people, you gotta you got to tackle people man and ball especially against these Islanders, especially against the guys like Sonny Bill Williams and, um, you know, they're able to get the ball away. you got to put pressure on the ball. Um, and, and they just don't seem to do that. And, you know, there's some of the lads are maybe getting in to try and choke tackle. And, you know, when you see that happening, this guy's almost getting in around the back of players. And that, if that happens and one of the guys can get their arm away, then an offload's going to happen. Um, and for me, they're, they're really, really going to have to work on that over the next couple of weeks because... It's, it's massive and as Kev said there as soon as there's an offload there's a line break which mm. leads to points and um, it's definitely an area that has to be addressed because if they don't sort it out then it's going to keep happening to them you're Kev. saying they need to work on it though Fess and like the thing is they've got two days between uh, the Blues and the, the Crusaders game one of those days is a travel day they're going to get like one session together as a 15 and generally what would have happened uh, for us in our clubs or like in an international game is between games you'd have six minimum six generally seven days so the first two or three days you'd analyse the video you'd start your recovery process and you'd start looking at your own game and start preparing like for the next game based off what went wrong and what the changes you need to implement Um, and then you start to put those plans or those changes into place in the training pitch and like all of these steps enable confidence uh, for the next game and how you to build confidence and know that you're putting the right pl- pieces in place to allow you to win the next game but there's no time to do that they have no time they barely have time to look at the video never mind put in changes and like Fez talking about like you know putting more pressure on the ball as a defensive strategy they can talk about it but they can't really train it um, they can't really spend a lot of time analysing and figuring out exactly how they're going to do it they actually just need to be able to listen to the defence coach and try and implement change based off that and <laughs> It's phenomenally difficult to do. It's funny, like because the Irish, they usually, they're they would usually choke tackle a lot more than any of the other countries, and then you go to the Welsh, and they're more of a chop tackling team and getting Warburton and lit and and uh, tip brick on the ball, you know, and then the English are a bit of both, and you know, it's kind of just getting everybody to read off the same hymn sheet. Um, does it, does someone like Andy Farrell then have an impossible job? 
trying to blend as you say so there's it's a natural like, like all these guys are you know they're world class players so when it comes to being on the pitch and having a mindset you've got to have a mindset when you're coming up to make a tackle that the, the priority is to stop the ball and mm. stop obviously stop the man also but stop the ball so that there is no offloading so when you are tackling somebody you're tackling somebody and you're targeting the ball and as soon as you hit hit them you're looking for the ball you're getting an arm on the ball you're, you're going for a, a rip or a wrench to get the ball away and um, you've seen Tony Bill Williams do that in the first minute to CJ Stander as soon as CJ Stander came in you just hit him with a shoulder bang ripped the ball out of his hands and it was a turnover straight away and kind of that's the that's the mindset you got to have. And somebody like Rory Best is unbelievably good at that. Mm. He's very good at targeting the ball. And I think the Irish guys are are, are much better in the in the rest of the lads at targeting the ball. How how did you think the Irish contingent did in that game? You had you know Payne obviously had to go off, but he looked in reasonable nick um, up to that. Uh, Henshaw he's obviously a contender for the twelve slot. Sexton came on had a good bit of that game. Um, are these guys in form? Yeah, I think what Fez is saying there is important in that like the kind of mentality and the way the Irish team defend could be very, very suitable for this tour as a team that goes after and puts pressure on the ball, hits high um, and tries to prevent those kind of offloads and choke the ball up. And the risk there is you soak a lot of yards. But I mean, if it's going to stop offloads and, and one of the main weapons, of the All Blacks, then it's, it's worth implementing. And I think that'll stand in the Irish guys', guys favour. I think, you know... <clears throat> Uh, the Irish guys did okay at the weekend or sorry yesterday um, Johnny played okay Robbie put in a decent performance um, but it, it's extremely competitive and it, it's very early days I think in terms of the 10 slot like Owen Farrell's probably got the, the nudge there but it'll be interesting to see how he goes against the Crusaders tomorrow Yeah, Sexton does not look in the best form of his life it's fair to say I mean, this is going back a little while it's not just going on two tour games He's he's looked a lot sharper than he currently is yeah, it's difficult conditions though as well. Playing against good teams, I think he will come good on the tour, but he just needs to come good fast. Yeah, I totally agree. And he's a world class player. And when it actually comes down to the crunch, they usually step up to the plate. And uh, they've been there and done it and caught the t-shirt many times before when it comes to big games. But as you say there, Andy, like even in the the semi final, the, the the Pro 12 semi final against the Scarlets, like he looked way off the pace. And anytime he takes a big hit, he's you know, he's taking. 15 seconds to get up off the ground and kind of kind of follows play for like five seconds before actually getting up off the ground the great um, um, the great American football running back Jim Brown used to get up slowly every time right if, whether he was hurt or not because he always wanted to make sure the opposition didn't know he was hurt or not I'd love to believe that Sexton's doing the same thing <laughs> but I'm not sure I'm not sure like I don't know if he's just got himself into a bad habit or, or whatever or he is actually stunned from taking big hits yeah. but um He's a world class player and he, he he will come good. He he just needs a bit more game time, um, and hopefully he can put a bit more structure in the Lions play over the next couple of weeks. Kev, you talked about the you know the the lack of time together as a team and as units to be able to change things to to bed in. Um, are we looking at perhaps a tour which is no longer feasible when you've got? I mean, what what are we asking here? In two thousand and five. Did Woodward actually have a, a case here to make that yes, maybe you do have to pick two different squads? Yeah, he did, I think. When I look back, when I look at what's happening now and I begin actually thinking about the logistics of it all and how it would actually work of kind of 15, you know, 23 battered guys uh, on Wednesday climbing onto a plane on Thursday and like 
how are they going to be able to actually impact on training to help the guys the next set of guys prepare for the next set of 15 prepare for the game against Crusaders on a Saturday like it just boggles my mind and these are very close to test games every single one of these and like training is I know like it's part of a Lions tour and it's like what they would have been mentally prepared for and as Fez said they're all world class players they should be able to adapt but like training is so important and that's what you build your confidence in mm. and particularly after a loss but teams can't, to, I suppose the other thing is the unions can't make money off training sessions no they can't <laughs> they can't and like I know this is a, a I'm just not sure it's sustainable yeah. I know this is obviously a, this is like the traditional Lions tour but I'm not sure that playing this number of games against this quality team is sustainable. I think it was sustainable against in the Australia where the quality of the opposition wasn't nearly as high. But in this particular tour, um, it's incredibly difficult for the guys. And like after a loss, the way you build your confidence back up is you have three humdingers of training sessions. You bash mm. each other once, you you know, you go through all the plays the second day and you start to build your confidence again and then you do a great line-out session maybe on the Thursday or the Friday at a big scrum session and everyone's feeling great again and the loss is in the back of your mind. But if you don't get to actually bash that out in training, it's very hard to, like, to build your confidence up. What have you got? You're looking at the video, you're listening to New Zealand media beating the absolute shite out of you um, and then you're you're putting on the jersey again and you haven't had time to build, build back up and... You know they want to build a tight knit squad, but like that negativity from the twenty three who played will feed a little bit back into into the next set of guys who are playing, and it's it's just so challenging that I'm I'm finding it hard to actually imagine what it would be like. And um, I do believe that Woodward had a point in what he was doing. I, and you were saying earlier that he still, to this day, has said it was the right thing to do. Mm, he ins- he insisted. There was a very good um, BBC uh, radio documentary um, on that two thousand and five Lions tour. Um, and he was a part of it. They interviewed a good few um, people on it. And also, it was interesting to get the perspective of some of the midweek guys in that tour because it was very much a completely separate team. And there is, obviously, if you're bringing that many players on tour, yeah, you want to feel that people have a chance. But this is the other side of that coin where can you actually face up to two games a week against this quality of opposition? Um, and it's it's a really tough ask. I mean, are we are we seeing any patterns in play at all so far, or we do do we have to discount what we saw in the first game entirely? <laughs> it, it, it's so tough because I, I don't know how much they're actually giving away of their actual game plan. Because anytime they're in their own half, they just seem to kick the ball back to the opposition. Like Reese Webb just continuously box kicked long and deep just to their wingers yeah. or to their fullback um yesterday morning. And I was like is this kind of like a game plan or as soon as it comes close to the test they're gonna start making these box kicks contestable or you know, it just kinda of seemed like just give the ball back to them, hopefully they make a mistake and then once they give it back to us, then we'll play rugby. Mm. Sex Sexton did it just before that brilliant try down the Blues game. He just hoisted the ball up in the air. It just seemed to be an odd time to do it. I mean, yeah. It wasn't a great kick, but still, even if it had been a good kick, you're wondering, well, why do it from there? Yeah. <laughs> do you know, I, th- I think he had an advantage at that time, did he not? Uh, penalty advantage? No, no. no. Um, that's not when they give away the penalty, no? No, it was all on his own. Okay. <laughs> So, there were so many kicks in the game so like my head was <laughs> all over the place uh, but like, like you play the conditions though like like a yeah. piss and rain yeah. like you're playing you're playing away from home a crowd fired up like 
it's probably the right thing to do is kick high and deep and put a bit of pressure on them and like like Fez said earlier like all the parts were there to get the win it was just a couple of things went against them and like I'm not making excuses at the end of the day like it's a results business and they Ke- didn't get Ke- the results Kev's, Kev's making excuses <laughs> I'm not making excuses they should have won the game like you know and there are a couple of key errors that meant that they didn't win the game but like yeah. I don't think it comes down to tactics I genuinely just think it comes down to like they're not used to playing together and like things like you say like you know is there any patterns emerging those patterns are there but like they come with guys getting used to like knowing each other's running lines and Johnny throwing passes to different guys and like that comes with a few games and training which they don't necessarily have so <laughs> and they just look a little they just look a little bit predictable do you know yeah. and and they they should look a little bit predictable because they are getting used to playing with one another and um you know the different the, their playbook is probably massive but we haven't actually seen much of their playbook you know and hopefully we will see a lot more of that over the coming weeks but they just look slightly predictable and their continuity and attack it just doesn't they don't be able to seem to go through a lot of multi-phase um, without making a mistake and it was only maybe in the last 10, 10 minutes that match yesterday morning you were like Jesus Lionside's got something about them here they were able to turn the, you know, the notch up and then of course Joe Marler kind of went for it like a double movement obviously after he got tackled and it just completely took the sting out of it so you know that's just a little silly mistake and if Joe Marler had a you know if just went down and they you, had, a sco- it, had a scored off the next phase you know everybody would have been obvious. talking about yeah. yeah everybody would have been talking about the Lions and you know they were able to hold on to the ball for a couple of minutes and get a score um, and I totally agree with Kev I just think it's small margins in these big games but they've a lot bigger games to come that's for sure they do and when the team has been named for the Crusaders game at the weekend which will be a whole different uh, kettle <coughs> of fish um, so Lions team Stuart Hogg George North Jonathan Davies Ben Teo Liam Williams, Owen Farrell, Connor Murray in the backs. Macavoni Pola, Jamie George, Tyke Furlong. Alan Wynne Jones, who's captain, George Cruz, uh, Peter O'Mahony, Sean O'Brien, and Toby Falato. Uh, this has the sniff of something that looks like a test team. If, War- if Sam Warburton was injured, you could see a, a lineup kind of like this. I said that yesterday morning as well. <laughs> when I looked at the team sheet, it was like, geez, there's a good few you know, starters here in the test team, and then they go out and they underperform slightly. Yeah, but, but, the, but that back line in particular, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of size about Liam it. Williams, like, Liam Williams had a very poor game. Yeah, but he's, he's still, he's the kind of player who could still, if he has one, if he has a good game to yeah. recap what he did, to, to come back from what he did there, I mean, obviously it was a bad yellow card. That was old Liam Williams, who, you know, he was always liable to do something like that. Yeah. Um, hopefully that's it out of a system for the tour. And we all move on with our lives, and hopefully he <laughs> becomes good Liam Williams again. Yeah. Um, but seriously, I mean, you've got let's say uh, Jack McGrath on the bench, Marco's picked at loose head, but you could easily see that as the test combination um, for all three tests with Marler had been the injury backup. Uh, you've got Atoji on the bench, but you've got Peter Manny, Sean O'Brien named at flanker. That's going to be a really big opportunity for those two, Kev. Yeah, it is, uh, and I'm delighted to see Shawnee in there now. Like, hopefully the Lions need him to have a huge tour he's one of those guys that like has traditionally played really well against the All Blacks and like had some really big games and is a game breaker and without um, Billy Vunapola there on tour I think Shawnee needs to step up and start carrying the ball and making line breaks uh, Haskell did a couple of good carries yesterday and stuff but I, I don't think against the All Blacks he's the answer whereas Shawnee has the class and Fez knows well, having played with him for many many a year, that like Shawnee can change a game and can be a game changer. I can bring what we've lost by say Billy Vinopola not being on tour. I totally agree with you, Kevin. He's a, he's the type of fella who 
you know, when it comes to game changing moments, he, he makes them happen. Um, I've, I've played with him and against him when he when he's made those happen, and when he's on his when he's on form, there is no better back rower in the world. Whether he plays at six, seven, or eight, <clears throat> I just think you need to get him on the pitch, and he needs game time. He hasn't played for a long time. He's been resting a few niggles, and I think for him, he probably just doesn't want to break down on this tour. You know, he just wants to get some game time under his belt and try and build a little bit of momentum. But I definitely agree with Kev. I think he's key when you're missing Billy Vinopolo, who's an absolute superstar and probably the biggest loss uh, to this Lions team. Uh, Going to get into the test that he's not going to be available. You know, Sean O'Brien really has to step up to the plate, and he's more than capable of doing it. So Sam Warburton's not playing because uh, Gatlin says he has an ankle strain, needs a couple of days to recover. Uh, but go back into what you said about game breakers. So we do have someone that backline. Stuart Hogg obviously can tear apart a defence. Um, George North can do on his day. Jonathan Davies can do on his day. Ben Teo can go through and he might be the best distributor in the world but he can certainly bust a line and keep his arms free or, or mini Sonny Bill Yeah it'd be interesting to see how Davies and Teo go together because yeah. like, there's a lot of people touting that as the test centres like that combination um, and I think Gallen really likes Teo um, Well if you can't bring Jamie Roberts yeah, that's true. Exactly. Yeah, but like you're right. He, he like Teo can be a game changer, but he's also could easily be exposed as any hasn't played a huge amount of rugby at this level. But like he's getting a good chance to play with Davies. Davies been in world class form for the Scarlets. I think he could be pretty critical. And I think someone like George North needs to have a huge tour. Like we need him scoring tries from inside his own twenty two, like he was in the Australia tour, and like just cutting things up and we need Hogg to come good like we need some of those game breakers to start changing things up because New Zealand have them absolutely everywhere mm. It's a big game for Conor Murray Reese Webb was, was decent against the Blues this is Conor Murray's f- first time out isn't it? Yeah it's Reese Webb's jersey to lose I believe You reckon? But yeah I think Gatlin will probably favour him um, but you know he's a good chance now at Owen Farrell who's probably nudged ahead of Johnny so this could potentially be a starting halfback pairing if yeah. they go well. Um, Johnny's got to come in and, and change things up, so hopefully he gets a chance as well. Um, what should happen from here? I mean, we've got Crusaders, we've got the next couple of games. I mean, this, this is a big step up, OK? So you've got the Crusaders, um, and just to give people the perspective who mightn't be as familiar, Kev, you referenced it earlier on, the Blues are the right now this season the weakest of the franchises. Played 14, won 7. Crusaders... Played 14, won 14. This is a different ball game. Um, they're playing in a small stadium. It's going to be packed. It's sold out. It's 18,000 people right on top of you as opposed to, OK, bigger crowd against the Blues, but in a big bowl of a stadium. Um, this should be something approaching test match intensity, you'd think. Yeah, and I'm just really glad to see that they left Wyatt Crockett on the bench and replaced him with another international loose Joe Moody. So, <laughs> nah, like it's, I'm just looking at the Crusaders team here. It's incredibly strong. And like Christchurch, is not only is it a hard stadium to go to, it's a horrible place to go to. It's really bleak. It's dark. The hotels aren't very nice. The lads are travelling there. Everyone is going to know them. Um, and there's just going to be immense pressure on them. And... It's not like Australia in 2013 where the lads could go to Coogee Beach and go for a swim and chill out and go and get some nice coffees and most people wouldn't know who, who the hell they were. They could chill out. Like, there's none of that. There's no going for swims. There's, like, head down in your bleak hotel, you know, maybe just about getting two bars on the Wi-Fi and able to send a few WhatsApps. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Christchurch like, Tourist Board are going to be really happy with you, aren't they? Yeah, but, like, you know, you got, like... Uh, That's the reality it's, it's not, of it. Yeah, you know, it's not it just the media and, and the, the, the players that want to to 
do everything they can to make it uncomfortable for the Lions. The public, the public are so ruthless there in rugby. Like they, they just want to win every game and they want to humiliate teams, and that's what they want to do to the Lions. And everyone there's job is to make the Lions feel uncomfortable. And like they've probably faced about twenty five hackers already. I'd say they are so sick of the hacker, like and having to sing and as well. Like so, every time <laughs> there's a hacker, they have to get up and sing. You know the fields of Athen Rye. Like you know, at the end of the tour, they'll be sick. Uh, their their throats will yeah. be worse than mine from singing that. Pete, much, you know what I mean? Pete and CJ will never, and Connor will never ever want to hear the fields of Athen Rye again. <laughs> yeah, they'll be yeah. so sick of it. Like by the end of this tour. <laughs> Out of interest, you mentioned the public there. I mean, is it a is is it just that they're very intense coming up? As a, as a player, or is it? Is it, is it there's no rudeness, is there? No, it's just an obsession. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's what they care about. That's all they care about is rugby. Like, and yeah. it's in Australia, rugby is like about ten to fifteen percent of the population care about rugby. Yeah, yeah. In New Zealand, it's ninety nine point nine percent, and like, that's what they're into. That's what their obsession is. That's what they're great at, and that's what their pride is all about. Winning games, like, it creates a mood. It, like. You know, when they, they're winning the games, I'd imagine it has a huge impact on the economy. Like, everything is moving forward in the right direction when they're beating the Lions. Like, yeah. So that everyone's interest in the, in, in the Crusaders beating them tomorrow. So it's just a very, very challenging environment. And I, I'm not necessarily that envious of, of Warren Gatlin right now and how he's got to try and turn this around. OK, um, we'll leave that there. Up next, we have Hamish Bidwell from Stuff.co.nz who joins us to talk about this Crusaders game and the New Zealand squad, which has been named for the Test Series. Murder, she wrote, is the perfect thing to watch during the day. You can watch the start, fall off for 40 minutes, come back, see the end, perfect. You know what I mean? You've missed nothing, really. Remember, Rod, Kev in the Kalina used to have to bring two TVs into the room, one for you for Cheltenham. <laughs> like every red-blooded male in the country, he'd be watching the horse racing, whereas I'd have a TV for myself for things like Murder, She Wrote and Houses Under the Hammer. Murder, She Wrote is the perfect thing to watch during the day. We're back on the Hard Yards. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you're listening to the podcast for the first time, subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, SoundCloud and every good podcast app to get us straight to your phone. We are now joined by Hamish Bidwell from Stuff.co.nz to talk about New Zealand squad and everything Lions from the New Zealand angle. Hamish, how are you? I'm well, how are you? We're doing okay. We're trying to keep upbeat, uh, struggling mightily. Uh, we're hoping that, um, that you can add some to this. Uh, the Lions have faced uh, the New Zealand Barbarians and the Blues so far. The Crusaders is looking like a bit of a step up. The Crusaders team has been named. What can we expect from that? Well, I think you should be hopeful. Looking at your team, the Lions team that you've been put out looks very strong. And... Um, that's encouraging. I think we're all waiting to see the potential of this team unleashed. Um, so far, performance has been pretty disappointing for the Lions, and we've all hoped for so much from them. This tour has been built up in New Zealand for a long time. We get quite over our diet of Super Rugby and Rugby Championship stuff, so this tour has been eagerly awaited, and we haven't seen much yet. Um, in terms of the Crusaders, um, they're steady. They're a very good set-piece team. They don't beat themselves. They kick their goals. Um, the attack comes from guys such as Dag and Tamani Valu. Um, Jack Goodhue's a steady player. He's been um, announced as a, as a sort of a backup for the All Blacks today. Um, around him is David Havili, who's been playing fullback but second 5'8", and George Bridge on the left wing's okay. But otherwise, yeah, the Crusaders, as I say, are a steady team. They don't, they're not brilliant, certainly not 
perhaps in the league of the Hurricanes, but they um, they don't beat themselves, and that's uh, a valuable commodity at times. Yeah, four, 14 wins on the spin, though. I mean, that's something you can't really look past. It looks great, but the first three or four were almost flukes. They were um, they were behind, they were playing very, very poorly, and there was one game particularly in, in Dunedin when they were playing the Highlanders where they, they scored 21 points in about five minutes, and that it literally saved their season. At that point, they, they looked the worst, probably, of the New Zealand franchises with, with very little attack. Very steady, as I mentioned, but very little attack. And that sort of unlocked things a wee bit. And as I say, the 14 looks great, and they've now got this impregnable look about them, especially defensively. They are a team who have great belief in each other, but I still think they're beatable. And the Hurricanes have them in about a month's time, and I, I cover the Hurricanes predominantly, and I would... Yeah, if there's a team that can beat them, it would be the Hurricanes because they just got that, the next factor the Crusaders lack. Hamish, quick one for you. Is this the, Kevin here, is this the strongest starting 15 that the Crusaders can put out? Have they got anything in reserve at all? It is. Um, minus Kieran Reid, who's, um, who's out injured, and uh, one other who I've completely gone blank on. That's uh, Ryan Crotty at second 5 8. That's, this is their best team. And um, yeah, they. They're very well drilled and, uh, and and very efficient. And what's the mentality out there at the moment like? Because it seems like everyone in New Zealand, we were just talking about it in studio there, is just wants to hammer the Lions, like the public, the media, every team they come up against, the crowds are going mental. And like that is obviously part and parcel of a Lions tour, but it just seems so intense over there at the moment. And like there's this kind of relentlessness about the teams that the Lions are playing. I think initially there was there was great excitement as I alluded to, but as the rugby that they put out's been disappointing, people have sort of hardened against them, and now there's there's more of that that desire to see the New Zealand team sort of grind them into the dust. Um, I think we'd all love to see them play well. I don't think people are wishing for the All Blacks to lose when the Test series comes around, but they really want to see contests and they want to see decent rugby and so far that's been the most disappointing thing about the Lions I know that they're a scratch combination and they haven't been here long but they haven't offered much and we've sort of hoped they'd play a, a bit more of an expansive and entertaining game Hey Mish, it's uh, Stevie here just, just you've obviously watched the Crusaders a lot this season how are the British and Irish Lions going to beat them what's it going to take what are they going to have to do differently from last week to beat them on Saturday morning Saturday evening you have to score more points than them, I know. Touche. The number beside the Lions score should be bigger than the number beside the Crusaders yeah. score. Very nice. Um, up and unders, uh, kicking for goal, things like that, they won't do it against the Crusaders. They're happy to kick you the ball and then just um, tackle you to death. So they, and they'll kick their goals and then they'll beat you on the counter. They, You have to try and get around them and you have to try and score lots of points on them. You won't, you won't beat them in a war of attrition. Yeah, and that's something which I think has come up this week, isn't it? That the uh, <coughs> Warren Gatlin's been under a little bit of pressure, or maybe brought upon himself. Who knows? Um, what was the reaction in the New Zealand media to the the Warren Ball scenario? Because it's something we've brought up before on the podcast. In fairness, that there's a there's a Warren Gatlin style of play. It hasn't really changed much going all the way back to the Wasps days. Um, it, it certainly got a good bit of play over here. Uh, what what was it like from your perspective, Hamish? It's catchy, I'll say that for it for a start. But the, the, the main thing is, I don't know, I'm, I'm sort of a bit sceptical in the sense that I thought Wales in the first two tests they played here last year at Eden Park and, and, and Wellington were, were excellent. They played a really good brand. They put the All Blacks under a lot of pressure. And in both of those games, 
And it was uh, it was Bowden Barrett off the bench who sort of turned them. Well, still in a hole in the third test, they just ran out of gas by the looks of things. But the the, the style of rugby, the, the way they looked to play, was really impressive. It wasn't just the way Warren Ball was being portrayed. As I say, I think we we don't want if there is such a thing as Warren Ball, we don't want to see it. We'd really like to see a team go head to head with the Lions. And I know sometimes Eddie Jones says, "Well, that's daft. You know, and you don't play the All Blacks at their game." But Genuinely, I think it's it's your best chance of beating them because they won't beat themselves. That that's a it's a good point though you said earlier is that they can't try and out muscle teams like the Crusaders and indeed the All Blacks. I think like you got to score lots of points to beat them, and in order to score lots of points, you got to take risks. And you look at Ireland's only ever win against the All Blacks in Chicago; they scored forty points, and they took risks and they kicked to the corner when where they would have gone for points against teams like England. And I think that's a mentality the Lions need to begin adapting. They need to start taking risks and going for things. They we need to we score. Saw, we saw at the start of the, of the Blues game, 15 minutes in, there was a very kickable penalty and the Lions opted to go for touch. And then there was another penalty, same spot. Two minutes later, they went for touch again. I thought it was, that was an encouraging sign. Yeah, I think they need more of that. Or they, like like I was saying, they don't have a hope. Like They're not going to just grind out the, the Crusaders tomorrow. They need to score tries. They need to play exciting rugby and they need to put pressure on them and, and challenge them um, otherwise it, they're just going to get squeaked like they did yesterday and continue to get squeaked in all these games so mm. they've got to score points against these teams and in order to do that they've got to take risks and score tries Is there really a friction though Hamish between um, between the, the media and and Warren Gatland from the from the New Zealand side or is this something which is just coming back in sort of uh, whispers from thousands of miles away? Yeah it's a bit 50-50 on now I think there is there's often a, a, a deep-seated thing where you've left us, you're a turncoat, we wish you nothing but the worst. But at the same time, I think that doesn't exist. Gatlin's a popular person, particularly in the Waikato. It's, it's a hard one. It genuinely is. I, particularly given there's a hypocrisy about being negative about Gatlin, given there are so many others, Steve Hansen among them, who've, who've tried a similar path. Um, Gatlin is... Gatlin's a bit prickly, and so he brings a bit of that on himself. If he had slightly warmer personality, maybe that wouldn't exist. But yeah, there is a there is a bit of niggle, but I, I wouldn't think it was pronounced. If people were saying it was a big deal, I think that would be overstating it. How is the um, there, there was one interesting quote though, a specific one. I'll, I'll read it out. Um, so Warren Gatlin said, "There's so much strength and depth in this country, I New Zealand. I don't think there will be a lot of difference between some of the Super Rugby sides and the All Blacks." Now, that seems to me like a, a dangerous few words that could come back to bite. Hamish, how, has that played in New Zealand? Is that seen as dis- disrespectful or is that just seen as, you know, Gatland trying to talk up these games? Yeah, that just that was just rubbish. That was just a way of sort of trying to make it look like it's respectable to lose to a team such as the Blues who no one really rates. Do you know what I mean? Um, there's no comparison between a team such as the Blues or any of the super teams to the All Blacks they're, they're on a level far and above what Super Rugby teams churn out Was it perceived as weak or was it perceived as disrespectful to the All Blacks or a bit of both oh, It was a bit just self-justifying do you know what I mean like we've yeah. lost this game and this is why because you, what you could understand is these teams are fantastic well they're okay 
well, they're not fantastic. Yeah, we've just lost to the All Blacks, essentially, and it looks less bad. Uh, Fares, why, why do you think Gatlin would say something like that? I worked with Gatlin in 2009, the Lions tour to yeah. South Africa, and he's not a very approachable character. So He's not cuddly, no? No, he's not cuddly <laughs> in the slightest. Um, and, you know, he's... He's almost like a coach that would ignore you rather than put an arm around your shoulder if you had a bad game. And I don't think that's a good thing. Um, you know, I'd say in camp at the minute it's 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 a pretty depressing place to be to be in at the minute and with these games coming, you know, one after another every few days, you don't have that time to as Kev talked about earlier in the show about going out and putting things right in the training week during the week and I think Warren Gatlin now being head coach of this Leinster, you know, he needs to take a little bit more of the responsibility himself instead of just saying, oh yeah, the players were jet lagged, you know, oh, we're going to get better and, you know, the lads need more time together. It's his job to put all that together. That's what he's getting paid the big bucks to do. And um, that's why he's left his wheels position to come in there. So for me, if they go out against the Crusaders and they really perform badly, I think the questions have to be asked to Warren Gatlin why it's not going right for him. You know, why is he not getting it right instead of sort of pointing the fingers at, at, at the lads you know it's very easy to point the finger at Rory Best and say you know, the Lions didn't beat the Blues because Rory Best missed the line out but at the end of the day Warren Gatlin's the one that's in charge and he's the one that put him on the bench to come on and do a job so um, the big questions need to be asked to Warren and I know he won't take that well because he's, uh, he, he's a bit of a prickly kind of character What's it's your prediction for the, for the Crusaders game? I think I, I like the the look of the Lions team. It's just whether or not they can gel together with the travelling and everything else. What kind of team run would they have got done? Um, probably not much. Um, I'm not sure what the weather forecast is going to be like as well. Um, if it's one of the ones a bit like the Blues, where you have to roll up your sleeves and just get stuck in. It, it could be a tough one. But um, for me, I just think it's it's not a good place to be, and uh, it pains for me to say this, but I think the Crusaders are going to win. Kev, yeah, I find it hard to argue with Fez there. Hamish is going to come along now and say that the Lions are going to win by 15, aren't you, Hamish? <laughs> Tee us up again. <laughs> I, I'd like to, but I, I can't. But I, I do just I just want to see them play. I just want to see a contest. Yeah, I want yeah. to see them produce something. I mean, Reese Webb kicking from the back of rucks, that's just, that's okay, but it's pretty, it's not going to win many games. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And when we talk about, are these... Uh, are these Super Rugby teams exactly the same as the All Blacks? Well, there was only three players from that Blues squad that beat the Lions that are named in this uh, All Black squad for the Test Series. There's a good deal more Crusaders. Um, but, uh, Hamish, the 33-man squad, are there any surprises in this? And I suppose, can you talk us through a couple of the key calls? Uh, the main one, in fact, probably the only one, was um, was Nani Lamati from the Hurricanes. Not in the sense that he's not of an all-black calibre, but just because um, it hadn't been forecast, and there aren't too many... The days of a selection bolter are well over here. The, the all-blacks like to control their message quite well, and that means um, passing on the team to, to selected media. But um, Lamati, had, isn't, his name hadn't been sort of widely mentioned, um, so he was interesting. Beyond that, Oh, there'll be some people, particularly in Auckland, who'll be a bit missed that Stephen Luatua uh, wasn't named. But again, he's he's, he's signed for Bristol, and yeah. He, yeah, and that's we've been down this road before with people like um, uh, the guy from Auckland. He's now playing. I forget. Um, oh, Piertel. Charles Piertel. Yeah. and yeah, and that he he did the same. He was going. They said, "Well, that'll that'll do, mate." So that's about it. The team. I mean, it tends to pick itself. I mean, the only other new cat was Geordie Barrett. 
Sorry, mate. Sorry, yeah, I was going to go before we move on because um, Lamapi, I mean, he is a former rugby league player, you know, playing what a year and a half, I suppose, of back in back in Union. Uh, what are his strengths? He's he's a very powerful runner from centre. Yeah, he's um, built low to the ground, just as easily run over people as around them, and he's got a touch of the the Ma'anones about him, and that you don't want to sort of heap that pressure upon him, but he. Yeah, he's a guy who's immensely powerful. He does have a reasonable amount of skill. He can kick and pass. He's not just a battering ram, but the the main thing is, is the strength of his carries. That's that's the thing that stands out the most, and it gives him a bit of um, X factor. A lot of the midfield backs in New Zealand are a little bit pedestrian, a little bit much of a muchness. Sonny Bill Williams is probably the only other one who offers a bit of something different, and that's partly to do with his um, his size. He's a very tall man, and also his, his offloading ability. So they'd be the, the two that are the most dynamic or interesting as far as the midfield backs goes. And I was just going to say, the only other new cat was, was Geordie Barrett, younger brother of, um, of Bowden Barrett, and he his selection was forecast pretty well from the start of the season. He's only just turned 20 and this is his first season of Super Rugby, but he just had that look about him of, of an all-black, and everything he's done this year has been immensely composed and, and accurate, and there was no surprise that he was picked. Yeah, you've got three Barretts in that squad. Yes. Um, this father, Kevin, famously said, having had a didn't playing in Ireland, he was off home to breed some All Blacks, and he's been true to his word. Um, got three of them now. Yeah, it's unreal. Um, the uh, personally, I'd, I'd I'd love to see Damien McKenzie in there, but he's named in the in the Mary squad. But yeah, Jordy Barrett, he's, he's a hell of a player. Um, Dane Cole's inclusion is interesting at the moment, considering his ongoing concussion issues. Yeah, he's he's weeks away from playing. Uh, he. He's doing some exercise, but only to a, a, a sort of a minimal threshold, and then at that point it, the headaches start kicking in, and he has to be spelled again. So he's he's going nowhere. I was at Hurricanes training today, and he's just meandering around in his jandals while the rest of them are, are getting on with the rugby. So um, he's been carefully managed, and the All Blacks will now take over his care for the next few weeks and, and hope to get him up to speed. But he's there as much for the fact that he's a senior member of their leadership group and that sort of thing I, I don't imagine he'll play in the series at all No I mean they've already said he will not he, he's not going to be playing in the first two tests anyway so it does seem to be is he, like has he a reputation of just being a very very strong strong leader strong man to have around or is this is there another side to this as well which is the management of the man Dan Coles Bit of both actually yeah he's, he's one of these no nonsense um, unaffected sort of people he doesn't get carried away with anything and that's that's important that there's a real um, feet on the ground element with the All Blacks um, and the other part of it is yeah it's just, just looking after him um, he's he's in an okay space but he hasn't played since March and I mean yeah, it's just such a long time to go without basically doing any high level training at all Before we let you go um, Hamish I sense you're enjoying this are, are you enjoying this? Uh, talking to you lads or enjoying this tour <laughs> well we'll say yes to the first one right but but this tour I know, <laughs> okay, I, I, know you, I know you want to see the Lions play right um, but are you enjoying seeing uh, New Zealand teams crush us visitors are you no I'm, just, I'm <laughs> terribly disappointed I genuinely I was really really and I still hold out hope and so I look at the team names for, for the Crusaders game and I see some new names some exciting names and I, I'm hopeful that we'll see something but um, I was a bit depressed watching the Blues game having seen that when it was the performance was so similar to the first match and I fear rather than wanting them to, to be ground into the dust which is a term I've used a couple of times I think people will 
turn off this tour. They'll become bored and dispirited and they'll just want the Lions to go home if they don't um, produce something. I don't think people necessarily revel in the, the failures of our opposition. Like they, they genuinely want to see them play well, but as long as they lose, obviously. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so 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 we can all noble. agree... We can be noble in defeat. And everyone will be happy, isn't well, it? Yeah. Noble, but, I mean... Have, I mean no one's cheering from the line, but they, they, everyone wants to see them play well. There's no sense that this is wonderful that they're coming here and not playing well. That's that's not good at all. Okay, I think we'll leave it there. That sounds like some good vibes being sent the Lions' way. Um, thanks, Hamish. That was great. Uh, so thanks to Hamish Bidwell from Stuff.co.nz. Up next, Andy Wildig, head of rugby trading at Ladbrokes, gives us an insight into how betting works. The hard yards on Sports Joe, backed by Ladbrokes. Okay, we're back on the hard yards and we are joined by Andy Wildig, Head of Rugby Trading at Ladbrokes. Uh, hello, Andy. How you doing? Yeah. We're doing pretty well here. Uh, we're, we did a quick round the table looking at the um, Crusaders game. Uh, everyone has taken the Crusaders on this. Uh, what do Ladbrokes have the spread at for this one? Uh, minus one Crusaders for the match uh, at 10 to 11 at the moment. I'll probably be evens each on the day. Um Got four to five Crusaders for the match and evens for the Lions. I, mean, I imagine we'll lay the Crusaders for the first uh, up until the day, and then we might get some patriotic support coming for the Lions on the day. Okay, so let's get straight into this. I, w- I want to know how this works. Okay, so yep. how do you create the baseline odds for this? Um, and I suppose when when does this happen? Uh, this is well, we've kind of uh, we've kind of had. Um, Ideas for this match um, throughout the see, over the weeks because we've had uh, we've had markets up of how many games they're going to win on tour. Um, so and that's kind of been collapsing with the better the Kiwi teams have got and the worse the uh, the Lions have played actually. Um, um, so we've had an idea of the Crusaders are going to go off around about uh, three point underdogs for the match, but after the week that's gone and the preparation has become more evident that it's not kind of going as well for the Lions so it's kind of it's just been almost a percentage move really um, it depends a lot, a lot of depends on the team news team news is the main thing um, and when it was announced the Crusaders and Blues would have uh, all their All Blacks that kind of made a big shift in the team news and sorry in the, in the prices Um so from that point of view we kind of start off by getting a handicap and then the match price is almost like an alternative handicap from that um so what what's the um when you're trying to price this at the very start are you looking at historical factors or are you looking at more current things like let's say a team's last five six games um i mean how, how, um, we we used historical factors um the tour in Australia, we looked at that and um, the players they would have available. Kind of the first match on this tour, we kind of tried to compare that a little bit to the the match the Lions played on the previous tour in um, in Hong Kong, where they won. I think they won by about forty points, fifty points. We kind of thought it would be a bit tighter, but it's roughly the same calibre of sides they're going out. Maybe the Lions is going to be are going to be a bit better. And the provincial side from New Zealand wouldn't have as much time together, so we thought that would be a kind of a minus forty handicap there. And that came down through the week with uh, significant rain uh, on the day, 
and that would, you kind of thought that just with the heavy underfoot uh, conditions, it would be a bit difficult for the Lions to run up uh, run up that many points. So I, I thought the Lions myself, I thought the Lions would win by about 45 points in the end. Uh, so, I, you know, I was massively wrong there. Um, but um, yeah, we still saw we still most, most of the money we saw was, was for the Lions to cover that line. Hmm. And then we look at the other tour games um, compared to Australia. I think they. They beat the Queens and Reds by ten um, on that tour, and you kind of look at the you kind of looked at the Blues this week, and you thought, well, this Blues team is well ahead of that Queens and Reds team. They won by ten, um, and I think they lost to the Brumbies, and that was the only club game they lost last time. Um, and you kind of thought, well, that Brumbies side was all right, and it was one of the weaker line side, so. You've kind of got a basis for what you're expecting from the club sides mm. um, on tour over there, and you kind of think if they're if they're strong, they're going to be kind of five to six points better than that Brumby side uh, on average. If that was a weaker Lions side, and it was a uh, kind of a stronger club side on that tour. So that's so that's, the, you so that's the baseline odds Oops. set. But then, so the next the next bit is you've talked about the movement. Is are those movements purely in reaction to money staked, or how often would you ignore money coming in and instead you're saying no, our traders have this right. We are going to stand firm by our position and take money. Um, it depends on it depends on the match, the quality of the match, really. Um, so last week's game, uh, last Saturday, we'd have moved the. Would have moved for a lot less money than we took uh, yesterday. It wouldn't take, um, say, if we took about, and it also depends who we took the money from as well. But uh, you take your money from a guy who you know is be pretty wealthy, wants a big bet on it, and it's his regular stake. You'd uh, you'd take that and you wouldn't move the odds. Whereas if you've got uh, customers who you know kind of work in the trade and they're they're coming in and they're going to have for 500 quid you'd probably move for those guys you'd move the line because uh, you've kind of got to, you've got to respect everyone else that they, they know more than you do occasionally and that, that's great um, I don't think you can sit there with too much ego and say that you uh, um, just uh, be willing to sort of gamble with it you've got to kind of trade this money back into the market um, so I think the low, for the lowest standard of rugby sort of uh, European Challenge Cup games kind of get your third choice French teams playing uh, like a Russian team or something you'd probably move the line there for 500 quid but say yesterday Lions Blues would quite happily take 50 grand before uh, moving the line there Okay so that's that's Big Stevie Ferris comes in slapping <laughs> 50 grand down on the table. I could do a good job of put the house in the blues there the other morning. Like, I'm rolling in it at the minute. Um, I think w- one of the questions that I'd like to ask, why is the in-play betting in rugby uh, rugby matches so all over the place and betting is suspended constantly when um, when you're trying to put, put a bet on an in-play betting where I know you know if uh, if if a team's up the pitch and there's a scrum in front of the post there's, it could be a 50-50 call of, you know if you're putting on a bet for next point scored or whatever but in football you know if there's a corner taken like it, you know betting it isn't suspended so why is it uh, why is it so much more difficult to put a bet on when 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 it's in play 
Um, it's largely due to the feed and, and the money, the money behind the sports, really. Um, say for something like uh, football, they you, you'd get a feed straight into sort of our office, and then from a, from a guy at the ground who's watching it. And if there's a goal, he'll automatically suspend the market, and that's fine. Um, so you can't really lay that many late bets. For something like rugby, though, um, most of the guys be watching. It. Some guys are more likely watching it on TV, and if you don't you don't necessarily have the live pictures for it. So you'll put on um you you'll put on kind of a, an accelerator for the team that's on attack, um, to maybe score a try. But when it looks like they're going in or it looks like it could break down, if you're not on the fastest pictures, which say your B T sport pictures, they're roughly about seven seconds behind what's going on. Um, you can you can quite happily lose uh, loads of money by not being up to date on the fastest pictures. So there are some situations where, uh, with the lower standard, you are a bit more um, conservative with how the match is being traded and running. Yeah, so to be clear, the, the, the feed means that you guys have something which is faster than that delay and you can offer more control yeah, around that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that just costs money that isn't really available to uh, <laughs> rugby trading teams. Yeah. Um, but it is there for soccer. So. Right, here's some quick fire questions for you. Um, so uh, I think I might know the answer to the first one, but I want to I want to hear it. Um, when the odds are set yep. for a particular game early in the week, what's a bigger impact on the price? Sudden team news or knowing who the referee is? Uh, team news all the way. Yeah. All the way. 100%. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't think we've ever moved for a referee. Maybe may, maybe uh, the big the big games when it used to be England, Australia, and you got a French referee who you think might benefit the England scrum. Um It'd be a couple of points moved, but very rarely you'd move for a referee. Okay, number two. Uh, does does the average rugby punter favour overs on things like tries, points, totals? Perhaps because they want to see things happen. It's more fun to bet on things happening than not happening. Yeah, yeah. I think the recreational fan wants to uh, wants to celebrate when something happens and wants to feel like they're part of the game. And, uh, rather than just celebrating like a knock-on or the natural decay of points in the game, really. That's, uh, yeah, uh, overs is the way to go for the, the casual fan. Does that mean that your odds that you offer won't be quite as good for overs because you know we're going to go for it anyway, yeah? Uh, no, no, because I mean, generally not. I mean, it's you kind of play price of the line where you see it and um, you know you're going to get... Um, you've got to be prepared to lay a big bet either side, so... You've got to price the, the line collectively, and we've still, we've still got you know we're still bookmakers. We've still got a margin built in. So, although uh, you know, although we're trying to price it correctly, we've still got about eight percent in our favour. So, which is should protect us enough. Okay. Question three: Do Ladbrook see a time when you'd use performance stats, like let's say a player's number of tackles or a gain line carries in a game, to create bets? Um, potentially, yeah. It does seem like there's that's the way the industry's you've got to separate yourself from the competition you look at the kind of uh, American stats um, and stats betting for their sports and that, that's pretty high um, but I think with at the moment there's other things we'd like to concentrate on so it's not something that would happen straight away but I think there's a market for it in the future but it's a case of uh, getting the information quickly because if someone has a bet on it they want that bet to be settled relatively quickly after the game you don't want to have to wait a few hours to get the you know, to get the stats to then settle the bet. So it's all about kind of selling the bet quickly and getting the money back to the customer. Really, 
Yeah, that's something people don't get about rugby stats sometimes is that there's a second pass over the the official ones just and things can change a little yeah. bit. We'll move on to the last two questions very quickly. Uh, the, yeah. Are the odds on an Irish nine and ten starting that first lines test? Uh, I well, I, I think Conor Murray is favourite to start at the moment. Reece Webb played for pretty well, but Conor Murray is a four to six to start. Um, Johnny Sexton is. It's about two to one at the moment. He's he's not. I think, I think he's probably been the worst three games that he's strung together for a long time. Um, he he just looks a little bit out of, out of sorts. But I mean, he's experienced. He, you know, he's every chance he pulls it together. Uh, it probably largely depends on how you know Murray and uh, Farrell go this weekend. And last one: the odds on any Scotland player taking the field in any of the three tests. Oh yeah, I think they definitely will. Um, it, yes, it's one to twenty. No, eight to one. Um, it's it's so short. I mean, if the players are likely to get injured at any stage, if say one of the scrum halves get injured, you, um, you've automatically got um, Laidlaw on the bench, and he's likely to get on. Um, but I think Hogg or Seymour are likely to play at some point. Okay, um, Andy, we'll we'll let you go here. Thanks very much for that. Uh, I'll a quick shout out to some of the people who sent in questions: Russ Petty, uh, Rob Carroll, Morgan Downey, Colin Me- Megan, among others. Thanks very much. Um, Fez, uh, you're going over to New Zealand. Yeah, heading over uh, f- next Saturday. So covering uh, covering the game next Saturday morning here, and then yeah, I'm on the flight. So yeah, covering the first two tests, which is great. Looking forward to it. Hopefully the weather brightens up. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's due to be a good day actually in New Zealand today by all the tweets and everything that are coming in. I'm seeing on social media, but yeah, excited. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing what the atmosphere is like. Obviously, played in the World Cup there in 2011. Um, some good experiences, bad experiences, but yeah, it's 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 an awesome country. It's a bit like home from home, you know. It's it's like Ireland. The the, the weather over there. It's obviously coming into their winter, so um, I'll not be packing the speedos. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, that note, we'll uh, we'll wrap it. Um, thanks to Fez, to Kev, uh, to Hamish Bidwell, and to Andy Wildig, to Joe Harrington for producing, and to Shane Dempsey for looking after the sound. We'll be back next Thursday with a new podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, SoundCloud and every good podcast app to get it straight to your phone. I'm Andy McGeady. This has been The Hard Yards. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes. Passionate about sport.